This is Kedo Shimizu, and you are watching the TV Writer Podcast. My name is Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 96 for April 27th, 2020. Well, you remember way, way back on the podcast, one of my first series was a series on women TV writers. And in episode 10, I interviewed Keto Shimizu, who at the time was just a baby staff writer. She had just gotten her first staff gig on The Cape on NBC. And I thought it'd be really cool to check back in with Keto. This is nine years later, and she's an executive producer on the CW's Legends of Tomorrow. And she's had a really, really cool career along the way. She's been on some exciting shows like Being Human, The Flash, and Arrow. And uh, she has some great things to say about what that was like. And so you're going to love this interview. And I, I would urge you, if you, especially if you want to learn about Breaking In, she has a really great Breaking In story. Um, and it's, it's timeless. The things that she did then are absolutely applicable today. So please check it out at tvwriterpodcast.com or any of the ag aggregators, Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, uh, any of those places, and look for episode 10, which was from January 2011. And, uh, and you can find all about how she was in the NBC Writers on the Verge program, how that helped her, and uh, lots more like that. This episode is sponsored by Pilar Alessandra of OnThePage.tv. Be sure to check out all the resources and classes on her site. And she also offers one-on-one -on -one coaching via Zoom. TV Writer Podcast viewers can get 10% off on any of her services. Just reach out to Pilar directly and tell her I sent you. Speaking about sponsoring, there's a new way that you can support the podcast. There are a lot of operational costs like hosting, web server. You can visit tvwriterpodcast.com slash support to find out how you can become a patron of the podcast for as little as 25 cents per episode. Check it out, tvwriterpodcast.com slash support. But for now, let's move on to our interview. Enjoy. Well, um, this is great, and I'm here with Keto Shimizu, executive producer on Legends of Tomorrow and a friend to the podcast. Um, boy, it was 2011 the last time I talked to you. That's wild. Yeah, and actually, it's, it's really, really neat, and I'd, I'd like to do this a bit more because um, sure. the last time we talked, you had just gotten on staff on the Cape, and now mm -hmm. fast forward not many yeah. years, and you're executive producer, married with kids, and... Mm -hmm. You've been on some of the, uh, I mean, CW's biggest shows. Uh, I mean, Arrow and um, and The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow and just a bunch of really cool shows. So, uh, and, and obviously, you know, you've met my daughter. I have a bit of a vested interest here because she now wants to be a, a TV writer. And um, and I think your career trajectory would be a trajectory would be like a, a dream trajectory for her. So obviously, I want to pick your brain. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Yeah. So, so, um, bring me up to speed. So, so between the Cape and in the next few years, um, how did you get onto the CW superhero shows and, and what was that trajectory like, like from your end? Uh, well, it was, uh, I've been very fortunate in that I've been pretty much consistently, uh, employed since the Cape. I had one little fell in between the cape and my uh, the next gig, which was being human, where I had a panic moment. And I was like, oh, gosh, was the cape a fluke? Am I never going to write for TV again? Was it's just a one and done deal? And it was it was really scary because, you know, I was going into all these 
showrunner meetings, people were reading my work and like, it just, nothing was coming to fruition. There was always like, you know, oh, we ended up going with this writer or, oh, they ran out of money for lower levels or, you know, it's just all these things. It just seemed like one after the other disappointment. So I was really, I was kind of panicking, but I was continuing to write and I was writing new samples and just trying to hold on to hope that something else would come through. And thankfully, you know, I, I got this, I was supposed to go to New York to visit my sister and her and my niece. And, uh, and then I got this call from my agents that were like, Hey, so the showrunners on being human would really like to meet with you tomorrow. And I was like, <laughs> shoot. And I was like, my flight was like that night. And I was like, Oh God. Okay. And they're like, and I mean, it's like a really quick turnaround. Like the room's going to be starting up really soon, you know? And, and it was sort of like, you know, do I go to another showrunner meeting, which could be a, you know, could be a bust. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to pay that $400 change fee. I'm going to change my flight till the next day. Like I'm going to go to this meeting and just who knows best $400 I ever spent (laughs) because that led me to an amazing gig on uh, being human with some of the most incredibly talented writers who were so nurturing, so funny, so talented. And I learned, I just learned so much and grew like that was sort of like if you're thinking of, you know, growing from a baby writer into an adult writer, those were like my formative teen years where Mm. I was really getting my feet wet. I was getting experience actually writing and, you know, producing episodes. And it was in this, again, this incredibly safe environment where we were all super close. We were all really in each other's personal business, but all of that was ending up on the screen and in really deep and uh, resonating ways. So I'm really proud of the time I got to spend there and um, so happy that, you know, that it all worked out. But that, you know, uh, I was on that show for two years. And then I, you know, got, uh, I, I had a general at Warner Brothers. And, you know, they knew that I was really into um, superheroes. And, you know, that Batman tattoo. And like, you know, that was like, <laughs> You know, so they're like, okay, like we're gonna keep an eye on her. And when season two of Arrow came around, and Arrow had a need for um, for someone with a lot of geek cred, they immediately thought, I was like, oh, there was that that young woman, Keto. Like, I think she would be great. So they, and I was in between seasons of Being Human at the time. Being Human didn't even have their pickup yet, so everything was kind of uncertain on that front. And I had this great meeting with the showrunners of Arrow and it just, it, you know, it led to being staffed with them and thankfully being human, my boss over there was so amazing and so understanding. And she was like, look, we we don't even have our pickup yet. So yes, you should absolutely go into this opportunity. And you know, the ease of which I'm letting you go does not at all mean that I don't love you and don't, you know, won't miss you a lot, but we know that this is like a really good opportunity for you. So I'm very grateful for that as well, that, mm-hmm. um, that um, sci-fi and, um, and Anna Fricke were very understanding and really let me, you know, let me go um, to this new opportunity, yeah. which, uh, you know, I've been thriving in ever since. And it's been an amazing journey. Like, I, I spent three wonderful years on Arrow, where, again, like, I really kind of grew as a writer and really felt like I was finally... Um, really comfortable in the room, really uh, able to pitch and really able to sort of form stories um, and able to sort of become more of a leader as well. And when I was pregnant with my first son and on the last year of my contract at Arrow, 
uh, one of my bosses, Mark Guggenheim, who was at the time doing the first season of Legends, asked he, you know, he and Wendy, who are running Arrow, were like, "Hey, what do you want to do? I mean, we we know you're on your last year of your contract. You're obviously starting a family. You know, um, we are very supportive of you and whatever you want to do. We would love you to come back to Arrow if that's what you want to do next year." But then Mark was also like, "Or like, we have a really big need for someone like you." on Legends of Tomorrow. And I sort of thought about it. I was like, huh, okay, Legends. That's interesting. Um, at the time, of course, the show was still trying to figure out what it was, and mm. I could definitely see it had potential to to be, you know, kind of a, a Doctor Who with superheroes, like really leaning into time travel and humor and all of that, and the sort of misfit family dynamic. And I was like, okay, it definitely could be a show that I'd really like to be on. And I said, well, okay, if you, if you want me to go over there, Mark, can I run the writer's room? Can I, you know, you give me that double bump and like, let me actually be a leader. Cause I knew in arrow, there wasn't really room for me to grow. There were already sort of the next in line were already picked and I wanted to support them and not get in their way at all. And I didn't want to compete with that. So I was like, okay, well, can I, can I go over to legends and do that? And Mark thought about it and he's like, yeah, so why not? So, you know, he checked with the other showrunner, checked with Greg Blancy and they were all totally into it. And, I made the transition over to Legends as, as I was also making a transition into motherhood, <laughs> which yeah. is pretty wild. And I was able to, um, you know, maneuver, you know, maternity leave and also jumping into the room and really helping to take the reins and steer the show, um, you know, creatively. And it's been amazing. It's been such a fun ride uh, to be on this show and to watch it evolve season over season and to be such a big part of that and to help nurture younger writers as they've risen the ranks and to watch them blossom creatively. It's been so fun. And I'm absolutely in love with the show and all the writers that I get to work with. So it's a wild ride, but I'm really, really thankful for, um, you know, both the, um, the fortune that I've had and being able to work with really great, um, showrunners who've been very nurturing and also with just the the content that I've been able to help create. Mm, very, very cool. Um, I don't know too many writers on the Arrow side, but I know Phil Klemmer and, and Chris Fedak, and they're just awesome. They're wonderful. Yeah, yeah. It, it was really fun to, to work with uh, Fedak on the first season that I was there. He mm. Since you know, went off to to create a bunch of his other shows, but it was really fun to be in the room <laughs> in that yeah. that first season. It was great. He's so fun, Very and cool. Phil is just amazing. He is yeah. the most wonderful person to work for and with. He's probably the nicest man working in television. He's yeah. just a delight and uh, and so talented, but also just such a great guy to be around. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, I want to rewind just a little bit um, because. Uh, the the focus of the podcast right now is on the sort of the staff to mid level writer mm-hmm. area, and and you mentioned something that I hear a lot, which is um, after your first staff gig is often the hardest time. Yeah. Um, as particularly I I what you said about going to meeting after meeting after meeting and and nothing hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, what what was sort of that experience like for you, in in terms of you you mentioned you you focused on writing new material. Uh, what did that look like? I mean, it looked like 
every day, even though I didn't have a job, treating it like a job, I would get up, you know, exercise, shower, <laughs> drink my coffee, and then I would like go somewhere. I would go, uh, there was, I was living in Burbank at the time, and there was this store, this gigantic furniture store called The Great Indoors, um, that was uh, basically empty. There was no one ever there. No one ever shopped there. And they had a little cafe attached to it that had Wi-Fi. So I would go there and like order a soy latte and sit there all day and just write. Wow. And no one else was ever there. It was awesome. So I literally had the place to myself, free Wi-Fi. You know, I would drink my coffee and there's this empty furniture store around. Um, and I would, I would just write. I, again, I treated it like a job and I tried to, I think I wrote maybe two pilots then, um, during that time. But I just, you know, it was really important to me that I keep producing new material and hopes that something out of that might help get me to my next job. Um, but also just to keep, you know, keep things flowing and to hone my craft and do all the things that everyone should be doing if they really are curious about writing. Oh yeah, it was that was that was hard, and at the same time, yeah, I had to make time to go to meetings whenever they would arise, and you know, wait for calls from my agent to be like, hey, or my manager being like, hey, this person wants to meet you, or this person responding to your material, they'd like, you know, or you know, and so it was a lot of a lot of meetings, and then a lot of going to this place and writing new material, and a lot of disappointments. It was it was a tough time, and it was really scary because I hadn't made enough as a staff writer to really live off of that for indefinitely, you know, I was, I, I needed to work and I didn't want to have to go back into post-production, which is what I was doing before. I didn't want to, you know, be a PA again. I didn't want to do camera stuff. Like I didn't want to do other, other avenues that I had done to make money. Um, and was really just holding out, hoping that something would hit. And thankfully, thankfully something did. Mm. Well, it's, it's good to hear because I, I think so much of the, the, knowledge out there and so much of the focus out there is on breaking in and mm -hmm. people can have this mentality that well once you break in it's just that's it i'm no. i'm sailing <laughs> and it, what i've heard is that is not not that not the case yeah um, and so it, it is mm, it, yeah i mean it's really important to nurture those connections you make on that first job to be as important as you possibly can in terms of your contribution and whether that's writing on the boards and maybe you're not a good pitcher, but you're helping with outlines, helping writers in other ways, doing research. I mean, like there are things that you can do if you're not a strong pitcher yet. And again, that's something that's a skill you hone over being in a room for a long time. So if that's not your skill, there's so many other ways that stuff you can be useful and people will remember that and people will you know, speak highly of that when you're going forward, um, trying to find that next gig where again, someone still kind of might have to take a chance on you and, you know, to have been, um, a vital part of the team, um, maybe in a different way than, than most writers. Like it, it does make a big difference. I think going forward. Mm -hmm. And talk a little bit about, you, you mentioned that they knew that you, um, you liked comic books and stuff. Um, talk, talk, I mean, there, there was a time maybe 10, 10, 12 years ago where there weren't as many genre shows. Mm -hmm. And I, I know a lot of people were talking about how hard it was to stay in the genre because there just wasn't as many opportunities. Now it seems like it would be an advantage <laughs> to, to sort of have a, have a slant that way other than your tattoo. I mean, are there any, any, any other ways that you sort of made it known that that was your wheelhouse? Well, I mean, that's kind of been my calling card for a, 
pretty much all my creative career. And I've, I've managed to work in genre. Even when I was in post-production, I was working in genre. Mm-hmm. And that was because I had sought out specific projects even when I was still in college and was looking for an internship. I hunted down an internship with a company that was producing The Spirit, which Frank Miller was directing based on a comic book that I liked. Um, you know, and it was Frank Miller who, whose work I loved. So I like really did my research and I was like, I want to work at this company because they're producing this material with this person. And it was a small company. So I was able to make a good impression. I worked my ass off there. Mm-hmm. And that led to my first job as post VA. And then I got to get Frank Miller, his meatball sub every day. And that was pretty awesome. Um, but, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've worked in genre for my entire career and I've just never been shy about what I'm passionate about. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm always been a genre nerd. I love horror movies. I love comic books. I love superheroes. I love sci-fi. And, and that's just been something I've, I've always geeked out about. And when I applied to writers on the verge, you know, one of the questions was what is the TV show that made you want to be a TV writer? Batman me on the animated series. And I talked about why, and that made an impression mm-hmm. like that. Uh, Karen Horn read that essay and she was like, I love the Batman animated series. Of course. Like, yes. And so she wanted to meet me and she went, and then, you know, she read my writing and she loved it. So it was, so, and then knowing that I had that passion is what got me my cake job. You know, it was, it was that, you know, they were making this show, which is basically Batman. Um, and they needed someone who knew the genre through and through and who loved the genre. And so that was what ended up getting me that first job. And then with being human, again, getting to lean into my love of horror and, uh, you know, dramatic horror, like that was what got me that job. And then, um, yeah, when I had my general at Warner, you know, they knew that I was a genre person already because of my resume, but also because when I talked about the shows that I loved and the, the things that influenced me creatively, you know, those are the things that came up and therefore they were like, okay, good to know. Like this is a, this is someone who has this very specific love of, of genre things. And, um, you know, we have X number of shows that are in that sphere and arrow was in its first season then when I had that general. And so they're like, okay, well that could be a good match at some point. Mm, very cool. So, so legends, you've been on for quite a few years now. Um, where do you see yourself after legends going forward yeah, my- for five years? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, I'll get to run, run my own show, create and run my own show. That's, that's what I'm really striving to do at this point. I love, I mean, I love legends. If there's any show that I would work on that isn't solely my own, it would be legends of tomorrow. It's just so much fun. And again, I love the writers so much and I love the cast and I love working on this just delightfully hopeful and silly. Um, but also, you know, adventurous, um, show. It's, it's so fun. So, uh, yeah, I'm hoping in the, in the next few years to get my own show off on its feet and to be running that and telling stories that I want to tell. Mm. And, uh, are you actively, actively developing projects? I am. Yeah. I've got a, a number of different projects. I won't divulge too much detail cause that's kind of bad. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, I've got, you know, I've got, uh, in a number of different genres too. One is more sort of a supernatural drama. Another is, um, like a, more of a thriller drama. And then, uh, another one's kind of a coming of age, magical realism, um, you know, show. So it's, 
yeah, it's definitely all very different from Legends, mm. uh, was, which is good because then I, when I'm with Legends, I can really focus on like the Legends energy. And then when I'm working on my side projects, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of overlap. It feels like I'm sort of using a different creative part of me, um, which has been a ton of fun. Very cool. So, so as part of Legends, you, you've been running the room and have you also been in a position to read scripts and, and do interviews with, with uh, incoming writers? We have. I mean, there hasn't been a lot of turnover since mm. season two. Uh, since really, yeah, for season one, there was big turnover. But really since then, it's been a lot of um, right, the writers who have come into the room have mostly been from our support staff. So so writers who are like our writer's assistant or our script coordinators, like coming into the room, getting to write a freelance. And then when there, if there's space being promoted to staff writer. So there have been, there's really only been one season where we've actually hired someone from outside the camp um, last year. Um, But for the most part, it's really just been growing from within, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I think is, you know, you, you invest in the people who help you. I, I think, I think that's a really good way to grow new voices and to, um, you know, um, for the people who work so hard to make our lives easier in the writer's room, like to give them that first opportunity to write a freelance and hopefully again, if there's room to promote them to staff writer is something that we take great pride in and really hope that we can do over the course of seasons. Mm. I know. Yeah, I, we, oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. What are you saying? Uh, I, I see you at a number of the um, conventions. Um, how how important it is is it to you to to mentor others and also, I I mean speaking on panels and things like that um, to sort of give to the people who are wanting to to break in. I think it's really important because it was really important to me to not only have voices out there who are, you know, encouraging <laughs> and giving some guidelines or some advice to writers who are really struggling to figure out their path and every path is different. And that's the thing I really try to let people know is that there is no, like, you can't just copy my trajectory, just like I couldn't copy like Jane Spencer's trajectory all as much as I would have loved to, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, there's, and so I like to just give people as much information and context and uh, ideas, you know, on, on how they could do it. But I do think most importantly, it's like you have to write and you have to treat it like your job before it's your job. You have to imagine that you're being paid to go through the creative, you know, rigmarole, which it's hard. It's a hard writing by yourself is hard. Um, writing in a group is hard. Writing is hard. And like you need to hone your craft constantly. Otherwise, for one, people who are considering you for jobs won't take you seriously if you haven't written a new pilot. You wrote one pilot and you've been writing on that for years and years and years. Like, sorry. Like, okay, what else have you, what else? And then what did you write? And then what did you write? And then what did you write? Like, you just got to be constantly generating material. For one, your writing is going to get so much better um, year after year. And and it's a signal to executives. It's a signal to showrunners. It's a signal to agents, managers, that you are serious about this, that you are passionate, that you are driven, that you will set goals and accomplish them. These are all good signs of someone who will be an asset in a writer's room. So I, you know, advice like that is stuff I I really try to get out there. But I do also think it's really important, you know, for 
people in our support staff or lower level writers to continue to mentor them. Because again, I was mentored really well by the people in the Cape writers room, by people in being human and, and in arrow as well. And I'm continuing to be mentored by Phil like it's it's a constant growing experience Mm -hmm. and there's there's so many things to learn about this business and about your ever-changing role in it that um, I think not only having an open mind as a learner but also passing that down to the next generation I think is incredibly vital it makes your show stronger it makes the industry stronger it makes you know, voices of, uh, you know, underrepresented voices stronger. And I think that's really important too. So, you know, we're very blessed to have a very diverse writer's room and we're really proud of really wanted to, again, to bolster those, those lesser represented voices and, and let them have a bigger role in our show. And it's made the show better. Very cool. Well, that I think is a great place to end up. Um, I really appreciate you taking this time and, uh, what, what uh, is Legends doing right now with the virus? Is that um, we're yeah. running? A, hmm. We are running a room right now, virtually. Yeah. <laughs> we're all, you know, in our little Brady Bunch Zoom boxes, yeah. uh, breaking stories. So yeah, we're breaking six oh one right now, and yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We're we're really only going to work for um, a few more weeks, and then we're going to stop until we find out when production is actually going to. Um, startup. We don't know when that's going to be. There are a lot of, you know, factors obviously. And like when Vancouver will get up and running again. And the big factor in that is like, when will the border reopen? So there's, mm-hmm. there's Vancouver production starting again is one thing, but then like us being able to send actors and crew and directors up there is like a whole other thing. So who knows when this is when we'll actually get to start producing these episodes, but we're going to try and, you know, bang out a few scripts now and then when when we get the go ahead to start actually producing them, you know, we'll, we'll reconvene the room and we'll start writing the rest of the seasons. Mm, cool. We'll so everyone, please make sure you follow Keto on Twitter at Keto Mizu. Yeah. Right. Perfect. Well, yeah. thanks again so much for taking this time, and best of luck to you. Can't wait for season six. Thank you so much, Greg. Bye. Drivingfootage.com provides 4K nine-angle driving plates for film and television. Over 14,000 clips are available for locations all around Southern California, with more areas coming soon. A fully equipped camera car with height-adjustable rig is available for custom shoots and second-unit photography. Get more realistic driving shots so your viewer will pay attention to the story. Visit drivingfootage.com for details. AVGearGuy.com provides computer and gear rentals serving the LA area, including laptops with final draft, as low as $9 a day with long booking rates available. They also scan photos, documents, video and audio tapes, and film reels to digital so you can easily share with your friends and family. Mention the name of the TV Writer Podcast and you will get 10% off your order. Visit AVGearGuy.com for details. Full disclosure, I do own both of these companies. By supporting them, you help me bring new in-person video interviews to you. You can find dedicated audio-only feeds of this podcast at iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, and Pandora. You can access the video versions via YouTube, iTunes, Podbean, and on the web at tvwriterpodcast.com. Follow me on Twitter, at Gray Jones is my handle, and be sure to like us and post reviews on all of these aggregators. 
During the shelter-at-home order in April and May 2000, we'll be posting weekly episodes on Monday. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.